Good morning. I wanted to also mention, just add to that little uh, our uh, focus dinner. If you're new, I think the focus dinner is probably one of the best places to come because you're going to hear what's going on. You'll hear a little bit behind the scenes more. So if you're if you're here visiting, you're wondering, is this a place where God would put you? That's what you need to have answered. Does He want you here? Uh, we would love to have you here, but depending on where God puts you. But if if you're still wanting to know more about the church, the focus dinner is a great way to do it. So, would you stand and turn to Genesis? 49. I'm just going to read the first two verses. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at this chapter on what about the future. So Genesis 49, the first two verses. And Jacob called his sons, 12 of them, and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. So Lord, we thank you again for your word. Very thankful. It's, it never gets tiring to talk about it, to read it, to hear it, to know that your word is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a light to our feet, a lamp to our path, tells us where we are, shows us where you would have us to go. You haven't left us, Lord, in this fog. You've given to us the clear, crystal clear word of God, preserved, that we might read it, hear it, memorize it, whatever, because every time we do, it's, your, it's you speaking to us. Give us ears to hear, I pray this morning. And Lord, we know we have an adversary, and we know that he wants to keep us from growing and keep us from hungering after you as the deer pants for the water brook. So Lord, I pray that renew us again in our desire to know you, walk with you, to hear you, and to do the things you've called us to do. Bless the word now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So this chapter is Jacob speaking to his sons, 12 of them. He gathers them together. Some scholars are skeptical about this being prophetic. It's not actually said by Jacob or Israel, but rather it was compiled later when some events had already transpired. Now, this is a common attack on the prophetic word. Peter tells us the prophetic word is like a light that we, we need to look at. And the, the word of God is highly prophetic and powerful because it is. So there are some, though, that would say that this was written after the fact. The problem is that the events that took place were over a very long period of time. They could not have been recorded by one person. This would have required the collating of information from many different sources. This is not impossible, but it raises more questions and, and, and causes more problems than to simply believe that this is a prophetic word of God, that Jacob spoke to his literal 12 sons, telling them, what about the last days? So it says there, in the last days or in the days to come. The same expression is used in the Bible when it gets to the oracles of Balaam and the last words of Moses. It's highly prophetic. Now, this is a quote from a, a, a commentator named Frank Gable. He said, in all three, now this would be in Genesis 49, in Numbers 24, and in Deuteronomy 33. Moses Balaam, and this morning, Jacob. In all three, the subject matter introduced is that of God's future deliverance of his chosen people. That's always the subject. God is working to completely deliver and set up his kingdom. Would you say amen to that? At the center of that deliverance stands a king. Praise the Lord. That king is the center of each one of these prophetic words. So in this chapter, the king is connected with the house of Judah. He goes on, and some of the things said here, there is no cause for celebration as we hear what Jacob would say. We must bear in mind that what Jacob must have had in mind was a good old-fashioned warning to his sons. Nothing like a good old-fashioned warning 
to tell us, and, and we do well to take heed to those. Jacob had lived for 147 years. He'd seen much of life, much heartbreak, much hardship. He said to Pharaoh about his life, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. So that's his perspective, Jacob, one of the, one of the patriarchs. Jacob had also lived with these sons that he's about to speak to. Many years, he observed them. He knew what they were like. How many parents would say, yeah, I get that. <laughs> he had 147 years to look them over. Well, not quite, but however old they were. So he had seen how they operated. He knew their hearts. He knew how they, how they thought. And now he's about to tell some of them some hard-to-hear truths about themselves and what their future looks like. So Gabling goes on to say this. These are things that even their best friends might not tell them, but their father needed to tell them. To have a father like that is a blessing. And to be told what is going to happen in the future if I continue the way I'm going is a blessing indeed. It is good to be warned about the direction of your life as well as for me in the direction of my life. And faithful are the wounds of a friend who will tell us those things and see things that are going on. So he says in verse 2, gather together and hear you sons of Jacob and listen to Israel your father. Note, the sons of Jacob and Israel your father. So they came from the same stock, Jacob, fleshly, carnal, by nature, sinners. Sons of Jacob, but father of Israel. The prophetic word comes from Israel, your father. So how important to acknowledge that our children come from the same stock as we do. <laughs> our son Titus, when he was real small, Sir was just reiterating this story a couple days ago. He'd be in the nursery. This is our son. This is the pastor's son. And he'd whack some kid in there. Yeah, that's, he's still crazy. But. And so then you have to come in. You got to need to say you're sorry. Blah, blah. And uh, one time she was questioning, why does your son do that? You know what my wife told him? Because he's a sinner. That's why. The sinful nature doesn't have to be taught any of that stuff. It has to be trained the, the opposite way. And so it's important that our children, who we know they come from the same stock. We're all born into this world as sinners. Now, Israel speaks of being governed by God. So being of the same nature, it's also important for our children's sake that we understand we have a word to say to them to help them to understand their need for Jesus Christ in their lives. That they might be governed by God. So we need to speak the prophetic word to our children, into our children's lives and into our grandchildren's lives to speak the prophetic word. I'm still reflecting, Lowell, on your message three Sundays ago from Jeremiah chapter 26. God speaks through us. The, des the desperate need that the world has, that our families have, that our children have, to hear the voice of the prophetic church. The church speaking forth the word of God, unashamedly, without compromise, and without fear. This is God's word. I didn't say it. He did. That's always a good thing to say. I didn't say it. God said this. Jesus said this. 
Jeremiah 26.2 says, Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak all the words that I command you to speak to them. Do not diminish a word. Amos 8.11. Behold, the days are coming. We're talking about the last days. The days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. We are in these days. Paul told Timothy, I charge you, therefore, by God and Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, exhort, rebuke with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come, it's here, when they will not endure sound teaching. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they'll heap up teachers for themselves who basically will tell them what, what they want to hear. A lot of people like that. But let me tell you, I don't like that. I want to hear what God has to say. I want to hear what the doctor has to say to me, his patient, if you will. I want to hear what my father has to say to me, his son. I want to know, and God, here's the deal. God knows everything, so he's not going to make a mistake in what he tells you. So a simple outline for this morning. What about the future? The last days, your last days, and his last day. That is Jacob. So the order of these, when we see these 12 sons listed, you have it, the birth order in Genesis 29, which, which through 35, where you list that. Then here in Genesis 49, it's the befall you order. It's the birth order, and now it's, well, this is what's going to befall you. It's a different setup. Now, it's, I, I have no idea how, they, maybe some of you have studied that, but they're listed differently each, each time they are. So you have the birth order. In this chapter, you have, this is the order, the six sons born to Leah. Then you have the four that were born to Bil, Bilhah and Zilpah. And then you have the two last ones that were of Rachel, born to Rachel. Now, when you look at the birth order, the first four are Leah, and the last two are to Rachel. That stays the same. I'm not going to spend time on this, but it's an interesting thing to look at these birth orders and also to see who's missing and who's added. We looked last week at Manasseh and Ephraim. They come, they come to bear on some of these genealogies. So here, I'm going to give you just 12 simple things this morning. I'm going to do them on four slides with three each, okay? That's the outline. So the first three of the first three sons. Firstborn is Reuben, born to Leah. Here's, here's the thought. You will reap what you sow. You want to know the word for the last days? You want to know what's going on in the future? You will reap what you sow. So in Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, this is verse 3, and the beginning of my strength, the excellence of dignity, and the excellence of power. But notice he says, unstable as water, you shall not excel. Excellency, and yet not excel, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Now, we've looked at these already in Genesis. But hear and listen. A prophetic warning against uncontrolled, lustful passions. It's ruined many, many people. So the promise in verse 3 is a prom the promise and potential were there. But they would never be realized in Reuben. It's like Samson. Could have, should have, but didn't. He began to deliver, but what happened? He was messing around with his lustful passions. 
And he wound up blind, bound, grinding, and crushed under the rubble of his enemies. It says he's unstable, which means wildness, unruliness, torrent of passion. Uncontrolled lust and passions will rob us of God's promises and our potential. Make no mistake about that. Reuben lost his birthright given to Joseph. In Joshua 5 and Numbers 32, Reubenites settled on the other side of the Jordan, never went in. They were the first to be attacked and the first to go into captivity. When we mess around with sin in our lives, we will be attacked through it. And we will go into captivity because of it. That's what happens. So here and listen, a prophetic warning against uncontrolled lustful passions. You will reap what you sow. I will reap what I sow. So we have this passage, Galatians chapter 6. Again, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary. This is here. Here's the antidote. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in this season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So target doing good. Doing good. Not hiding to do evil. Not sort of scurrying out of the light. But staying in that place of doing good. Secondly. Bad friends will lead to bad ends. And good friends will lead to good ends. Now, as we look at Simeon and Levi, we read verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling. Let not my soul, Jacob, enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man. In their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Hear and listen. A prophetic warning as to the company that you keep. When these two brothers were together, they were not good for each other. And the interesting thing is, they, they, they are associated most of the time in the scriptures. It's Simeon and Levi, Simeon and Levi. Now, eventually they were separate, and when that happened, it was a good thing in the Scriptures. But they brought out the worst in each other in their anger and in their wrath. Simeon is almost without exception associated with Levi. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. They schemed against, deceived, and then murdered a defenseless city of men called Shechem. They did, they did so with fierceness, cruelty, and uncalled for vengeance. So it was uncontrolled anger, uncontrolled vengeance. Now, I will say to you that the season we've been in this year has risen a lot of this stuff up. In my own mind, in my own heart. I'm sure with you in different ways. Just an, an anger, and a vengeful, and a fierceness. Jacob said, let not my soul, let not my honor. Jacob wanted nothing to do with it, not even while it was, if he didn't even know what they were doing, he would have nothing to do with this. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Simeon virtually disappears. Their portion became with Judah. Levi, their portion was in 48 cities with other possessions. So again, hear and listen. 
a prophetic word as to the company we keep. Don't be continually hanging out with foolish and ungodly friends. You want to know what's your future? This will derail it from any good. 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Again, do not be deceived. Again, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. It's that simple. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So find and keep company with wise, God-fearing friends. Now, that's not, that's not, I'm not saying we're not involved in people's lives. But who is it that's inputting into your life? Who is it that's helping you to live a godly life? That's who you want to hang out with. We have our gray prey. Some of the guys are here. It's fantastic. You just get together with the word. I've talked about it often because it's such a fortifying time of an hour, maybe an hour and a half of the scriptures and talking about what's on our hearts and minds and having that fellowship with men my age. Well, some of, some of them are a lot older, but we won't talk about that. Listen to this, Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise. But the companion of fools will be destroyed. Who are you walking with? Who's your companion? Who is it that's speaking into your life? Psalm 119, the psalmist said, I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. Those are the people that you want to be building the, for, the, the bridges and the fortification for your life. Don't keep company with anger and wrath. Get rid of it. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And I'll tell you what, again, personally, my confession, I think for many of us, this <laughs> has been a companion many days this last year. Don't keep company with vengeance. God said, vengeance mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Don't wrap your arm around vengeance or anger or wrath. When these two brothers were together, they were not good for each other. Now, Dave Barry is an author and nationally syndicated humor columnist. I want to share some, I had to share this with you because I think it just gives a little lightness to the whole thing. He wrote in a book in 1990 that Charlie used to read him all the time, and he's very funny. I don't know that I can endorse everything he writes, but <laughs> I'm going to share this anyway, okay? He wrote a book called Dave Barry Turns 40 in 1990. So I just want to read this. I'll put it up on the screen. Remember when, we were, when, remember when we truly believed that if society treated boys and girls exactly the same, then they wouldn't be bound by sexual stereotypes, and the boys could grow up to be sensitive, and the girls could grow up to be linebackers. <laughs> Boy, were we ever idealistic, by which I mean stupid. Because when we, look at our, when we look at actual children, no matter how they're raised, we notice immediately that little girls are, in fact, smaller versions of real human beings, whereas... Little boys are pod people from the planet Destructo. <laughs> I base my opinions on several years of working in an office located in a house with a large, transient little boy population. That's himself. Individually, they're okay, but if two of them get together, their combined IQ is immediately halved. And if a third boy comes along, it's halved again, and so on, so that if you have, say, six, six of them, you're talking about the destructive force of a tank commanded by the brain power of a Labrador retriever. <laughs> they communicate with each other by slamming doors. They have the attention span of a gnat. Stop slamming the doors, I'll yell at them. Okay, they'll reply, slam, unquote. We have five boys, okay? We're operating on negative IQ in our house. 
I love that because it just says when two get together, what's going to happen? I'll tell you, it's, gonna re- it's probably going to be operating from the lowest level. <laughs> we need someone to raise us up, take our hand, encourage us, move us forward, who know God will speak to us and will have fellowship in the things that matter. Uh, number four, live for the second coming of Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Live for the second coming of Jesus. So we have here Judah, who is the fourth-born son of Leah. It says, verse 8, Judah, you are he whom, my, whom your brothers will praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. So Judah would be a preeminent son and leader over Israel, chosen over all the other for the royal of the tribe of Messiah. And who is that? Jesus, the king of kings. It's Jesus, the, the king of kings that's, coming to re, that's going to return. Second, Judah would be a victorious warrior and ruler. Who are we talking about? Yes, specifically a tribe, but we're speaking about the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah is a lion's whelp, verse 9. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? He is victorious. One of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed, Revelation 5, to open the scroll, loose its seals. Wow. He would rule, his rule would extend beyond the borders of Israel. Look at verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Until Shiloh, he whose right it is to rule... The same root is shalom. Ask, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. That word is nations. Psalm 2, ask of me, and I shall give you the nations as thine inheritance, prophetically again, of Christ. Fourth, his rule would be one of abundant plenty. Verse 11, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine. And his clothes in the blood of grapes, his eyes were darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. It speaks of an unimaginable prosperity and splendor of the coming kingdom age. Live for the second coming of Jesus. There's a kingdom coming. We are not of this world. We have a kingdom that we are going to be entering into through the blood of Christ and what he's accomplished for us. And we are his and he is mine. Revelation 1. John to the seven churches are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, and ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. That's Israel realizing what happened. Even so, again, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Live for the second coming of Jesus. Five, look for open doors from God. And take every opportunity he gives to you. Look for open doors from God and take every opportunity. My testimony is simply this. God's given me opportunities. I've taken them. I find that an open door 
must first be gone through before we know what's on the other side. And then there's another door, and God is faithful. Now, with Asher, or Zebulun, shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his borders shall be till a joint Sidon. So Zebulun means the lofty boat or going out, the name itself. And so Zebulun, the tribe, opened up new doors of commerce by way of the sea and ships. Israel had not had it. Well, Israel wasn't on, this, on the sea. So Zebulun brought that to Israel. He, now, Zebulun inherited the land of Galilee. Galilee of the Gentiles, near that. This is interesting to me. As far as going out and open doors, 11 of the 12 disciples were from the area of Galilee. One was not. Do you know who it was? It was Judas. You talk about a door of opportunity given to these fishermen? Come follow me. Come follow me. And when they did follow Jesus for three years, and then they, all these powerful religious leaders see what happens through their lives, what Jesus did in their lives, and they go, well, they're just uneducated fishermen. But we've been with Jesus. Let me say to you, the greatest opportunity given to us is we can walk with Jesus Christ in this life. And he opens doors, like he said in Revelation chapter 3 to the church of Philadelphia, the faithful church. I know your work. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have, I love this. Oh, well, it's an open door because I'm powerful. And Yeah, no, he says, for you have little, a little strength. Notice, have kept my word and have not denied my name. The open doors are there. We go through them in our weakness, but we have the word of God. We have the truth with us, and we're not going to deny his name. Now, a lot of times, fear holds us back. We start thinking, what will people think? I say, go through the door without fear. You might feel like you have no strength. Go through the door. Keep his word, and do not deny his name. He will t- lead you and myself to paths of righteousness for his name's sake like never before. And I say for 2021, look for the open doors from God and take the opportunities as they come. Number six, work hard, rest easy, and persevere together. Work hard, rest easy, persevere together. Now that middle one is what's hard for me. I'm not a good rester, but listen, as far as Issachar, is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. He saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. We don't have a lot of information on this man or the tribe. What I perceive from this is they were everyday people, not known for great exploits, produced no great heroes, They were just ordinary people. They were hard workers. They helped others. They knew how to rest. They enjoyed one another. And they were often subjected to invading armies. And so they were a band of slaves. They they persevered together in difficult times. Does that not speak to our culture right now? How we need to persevere together. First Chronicles says the families of Issachar were mighty men of valor. They weren't wimps. First Chronicles 12.32, the sons of Issachar, Greg, you, you, you quoted this often. The sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, 
Their chiefs were 200, and all their brethren were at their command. So their brethren were looking to Issachar for leadership in hard times. And they, had, they understood the times. They understood what was going on. Final one, Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are laboring and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, work, and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, work hard, rest easy, persevere together. That's the future. That will take us into a good future. Number seven, tribe of Dan, flee from idolatry. Flee from it. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel so that its rider shall fall backward. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. (laughs) This is Jacob. Hear and listen. This is a prophetic warning against idolatry. Dan introduced idolatry into the nation Israel. In Judges 18, the advent of, of idolatry, the first entrance was through Dan. Amos 8.14 says, Your God lives, O Dan, and it's used of devilish idolatry. Rabbinical teaching says the Antichrist will come from the tribe of Dan. Bites the heel. In such idolatrous darkness, Jacob cries out, I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. Flee from idolatry. We must worship God as he has revealed himself to us and not as we might like to fashion him into our likeness. To make him something of our own imagination. A couple of pastors I want to go through here because I think they're very insightful as far as what is idolatry. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Do not become idolaters as were some of them. Now let's let's look at the information. As is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Ah, that's okay with God. Now let us commit sexual morality as some of them did. That's okay with God. And then one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also did and were destroyed by serpents. God, you don't care. Nor complain as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. These are serious issues as to how we're living and who God is and what does it matter and what doesn't it. Verse 12, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. There's a lot of people running around blindly thinking I'm fine. No temptation overtake you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. We saw this last week. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with, but with the temptation also will give a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, again, bookends. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. First John, again, another insightful passage. We know, verse 18, 1 John 5, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Really? <laughs> I, you can, it's the continuous present tense. We know that whoever's born does not continue in a sinful lifestyle. 
Something changes where there's a battle now with sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Spiritual battle. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Is it the real, true, and living God that we worship and serve and hear from and order our lives according to his word and what he said? Anything less than that is idolatry. It's, it's fashioning a God as I would like him to be and walking in a path of darkness, and I know it not. So this is a prophetic warning against idolatry. Number eight. Here we go, right after it. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Gad, one verse. A troop shall tramp upon him, and he shall triumph at last. We may get trampled. We may be, feel like we are history. Had a brother come this morning to say, hey, he's, he's working, and the devil's attacking him as he's seeking just to serve God and move on with the Lord. That's going to be a part of the battle. Gad, the word itself, means troop. He was the most vulnerable. He chose his inheritance outside the land. It was a vulnerability, and yet he overcame. He went through tough times, but triumphed in the end. First Chronicles says, Some Gadites joined David at the stronghold in the wilderness. Mighty men of valor, men trained for battle. These guys were trained men in warfare. So again, you know this passage, but I'm going to give them to us again just to read. Paul told Timothy, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Notice, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called. We're called into a whole different lifestyle that requires we have the battle gear on and ready to fight. To which you also call to confess the good confession in the presence of many Many people have seen the testimony. Second Timothy, again, but you be watched in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already poured out as a drink offering, Paul to Timothy. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. Finally, has laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Fight the good fight of faith. Number nine, glory always and only in the Lord. Glory always and only in the Lord. Asher, bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. Of all the tribes of Israel, they had nothing of historical significance to keep track. Nothing ever happened on their land. They never produced a decorated soldier, a renowned judge, or a great king. They were like Issachar, not a whole lot to point to. Well, except that they were bakers. That's not just, that's like huge. You know, like Dunkin' Donuts, Pepperidge Farm, the Cookie Monsters. 
This passage came to mind with this, glory always and only in the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You see your calling. That not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen. That's what's important. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. God has chosen. God has chosen. And the things which are not to be bring to nothing, the things that are. You may feel like you got nothing of historical significance. And indeed, you may not in some book. But let me tell you, in God's book, the only thing that matters is your name is there. He'll take care of the rest. We're not living for the applause of people and the praise of people. We're living to please God and look forward to him giving us that crown of righteousness. That's the thing that really matters. He says this, verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. When we get to heaven, there's going to be no flesh glory in his presence. (laughs) He's going to say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. But of him, you're in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And there's no other place to glory. And yet in all the things we might feel we're so lacking, we should never be lacking of wanting to bring glory to God. And he takes the things that the world would say are the off-scouring, the things that don't matter, the weak things, the base things, the things that, and he takes those and makes them into treasures in his heart. That's you and me. Number 10, prevail always and in everything by prayer. I know you would agree with this. I talk about it all the time. We talk about it all the time. We pray. Naphtali, who was the sixth born to Bilhah, Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. Naphtali was birthed in answer to Bilhah wrestling prayer that God would bless her. That's how it all came to be. That God's favor would be on her by giving to her who turned out to be Naphtali. Philippians tells us, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God will surpass all understanding and will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Listen, I know I don't have to say this, but yet I know I do. Let us prevail always and in everything by prayer. That sets the future in focus. That keeps us from getting chained up to things. We pray pray through and wrestle through, seeking God's favor, seeking God's blessing, seeking the answers that we long for from the one who has them. Jesus spoke a parable and said, men are always to pray. And not lose heart. To me that says if I don't pray, I will lose heart. Joseph, we just studied him. But here's the thing, and you would almost guess this. Know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Number 11, Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a well. Verse 22. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him and hated him, but his bow remains in strength, and, his, and, his, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. 
by the God of your Father who will help you and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lie beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of your Father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separated from his brothers. Joseph was very fruitful and his fruit made others exceedingly fruitful. Though fruitful, Joseph came under tremendous difficulties. As we know, we've just studied him. He had trials and he had attacks. He endured arrows of hatred, jealousy, false accusation, and imprisonment. Yet, though under attack, he never retaliated, though he could have. The secret of his strength was pure and simple. He knew he was in God's hands. He knew he was in God's hands. Genesis 50, 20, we'll get this in our final study next week. But as for you, you meant for you, but God meant it for good. That was Joseph's summation of everything he had learned over the years. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that this morning? All things work together to those who love him, not just anyone. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together. Those who love God are called according to his purpose. Verse 32, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us what? All things. All things work together for good. Who shall bring a charge against God's sake? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died, furthermore is also risen, is even at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. How can we go wrong? We can't. All things work together for good to those who love God. We must know that, bank on it, and live our lives accordingly. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? <laughs> so fantastic. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it's written, we are killed all day long. We are counted the sheep. That's a part of the, of the deal here. We are those things. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who what? Loved us. Loved us. I am persuaded. Are you persuaded this morning? Nothing will separate you from the love of God. No matter how deep it gets underneath are the everlasting arms of God who loves you, calls you to his purposes. Death, nor life, nor angels, nor principality, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth. And if you forgot, if you forgot anything, he said, nor any other created thing. It doesn't matter. Throw it at me if you want. But I know this. Nothing shall separate me from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. I'm excited. Finally, number 12, be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Prevail always in everything in prayer. Know that all things work together for good, and therefore be strong and very courageous. Serve the Lord. That's what Joshua said at the end. Serve, as for me, my, we're going to serve the Lord. But the beginning of Joshua's life, we find in, Gen in Joshua chapter 1, only be strong and very courageous. Now, he heard that from Moses he heard that from the Lord, and he heard it from the people. Be strong and very courageous. The people were behind him because they knew God was behind him, and they knew Moses appointed them according to God's command. Same thing. Be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all. Now, this is where we need the strength and courage to observe to do all according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. 
That takes strength and that takes courage. This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in day and night. That you, that, that you may observe to according to all that is written in it. For then you will make you a prosperous. Then you will have great success. Have I not commanded you? Again, be strong and good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Finally, my brethren, Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Verse 28 of the chapter we're in. All these are the tribes of Israel, and this is what their father spoke to them, and he blessed them, he blessed them, he blessed each one according to his own blessing. These are blessings. Then he charged them. This is Jacob now, verse 29. His last day. His last day. I think that's a good thing to consider at times. There's going to come a last day for all of us. I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. Again, he knows what God has promised, and he hasn't done it yet. In, the, in that cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, with, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife, where they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth. I'm just getting a little choked up by my, my sister who is next line. I have four sisters. I'm in the middle. She called me yesterday and her daughter, my niece, I think she probably was around 45. She died of an overdose. I mean, just like that. She's gone. I know she knew the Lord. I don't know where she was with him at the time. But there's coming a day when it's over. However that happens. We're not in control of that. God is. But here is Jacob saying, yeah, this is my last day. I know what God's promised. I know what's going to happen. I don't know exactly when, but you take me back there and you bury me in that cave. In the promised land. You put me there. Because it ain't over yet, even after I, as it says there. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people, the gathering to his people in death. So may the Lord help us to keep our eyes fixed on him. What about the future? Here's some things you can meditate on. Here's some things you want to bring to the Lord in prayer. Say, Lord... Would you help me in these areas? Because the future's in your hands, but I'm going into it. And I want to do it in the best possible way I can. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word and your faithfulness to us. And we are not ignorant of your promises to some extent. We're also not ignorant of the devil's devices to trip us up and ruin us. So we stand before you and ask, Lord, in Jesus' name that you'd fulfill all your promises that we wouldn't get in the way even though we have potential. We want to, Lord, see it. Yield to you in such a way that you can do what you want to do in our lives. Would you stand?